Blog Talk Radio. Good morning. Hi, I'm Laura Mize, pediatric speech language pathologist, and welcome to Teach Me to Talk, the podcast. I'm so happy that you've joined me today. For show number 289, we're going to be continuing our series, The 11 Skills That Toddlers Must Use Before Words Emerge. And we are finally to skill number 11, the last one in the list. But before we get to that, let me make a couple of announcements. First of all, I have a big event coming up in Canada, in Toronto, in September. It's actually on September 23rd. And if you need more information about that, Check that out at teachmetotalk.com, my website, and you can get um, a link for registration information. The second announcement that I have to make is actually something that I should have done last week. I got an email from a speech pathologist who's finishing up her clinical fellowship, and that's for those of you who are parents who aren't SLPs. You may not know what that is, but that's the first year after you've received your master's degree as a speech pathologist. You actually work for nine months under a lot of direct supervision from a seasoned or experienced speech-language pathologist. And so as part of finishing up that um, period of time, One of her requirements for the place she works is to do a project, present a project, and she's used this podcast series as her CF project. So her name is Zippera, and I I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. I've only known one other person a long time ago, and I didn't know her very well. She was just an acquaintance who had that name, and so if I'm mispronouncing that beautiful name, please forgive me. But I want to thank her for emailing me about this at the beginning and then when she started this project and then she said, (laughs) I'm putting together, uh, you know, my little project about this and I asked her to send me the handouts and she sent those to me and they are phenomenal. They are fantastic. So I wanted to give her a big shout out and and a heartfelt thank you for that because I so appreciate it. And other people have done that for me through the years. They've taken information that I've used here on the podcast or um, in some other speaking kind of forum, and they've organized it so beautifully, which we SLPs just love. I mean, I've never seen a chart or a list I didn't like. <laughs> Do you know what I mean by that? If you're a therapist or if you're a mom or dad and and like that kind of organized way of looking at and dissecting information, and so she put it together, and it's just lovely. So I wanted to give her a big public um Again, an acknowledgement of her sending that to me. So thank you so much. All right, let's get going because I have a lot of content for today's show, and I want to be sure that we get it all in there. So this is our very last skill. We've, we've spent the whole year practically of 2016 so far talking about how all the things that have to come in and how children first acquire words. And sometimes parents do think it happens, you know, the first day that they say a word that's sort of recognizable. But we have spent weeks and weeks and weeks and months now walking through the process of all those things and how they all layer on each other. And so today we're kind of putting that final building block in place. And so we're talking about turn-taking. And, again, it is so hard to isolate some of these skills. We're going to try, and we have tried really hard to do that in this series, but turn-taking is one of those skills that we've already sort of mentioned. And and if you've been walking through this series, particularly if you are a mom and if you are 
looking at all of these skills with your own little light talker and you're thinking, well, does he have this one and does he have that one and have I worked on this and this might be why he's not talking, which again is the purpose of this whole series. If you've been doing that with your child and you're thinking turn taking, oh, I haven't thought about that. Yes, you have (laughs) because we have already mentioned turn taking in the context of reciprocity way back when we talked about joint attention. Remember that? Remember when we were talking about reciprocity and how a child, if you're looking at a child, you want a child to look back at you and then you want him to pay attention to what you are paying attention to. In a sense, that's turn-taking. And again, that back and forth is what we're mentioning here. We also talked about it when we looked at play skills and developing play skills. And remember what we said about that is the way that we really teach play is by modeling or by showing a child how to Uh, manipulate or operate a toy so again there was some turn-taking there we also talked about it a lot in the concept or, or the context of receptive language remember when we were talking about helping a child learn how to follow commands he's responding when he's following your command and so that's the the beginning of turn taking as well and and we also talked about it a lot when we a couple weeks ago when we were looking at imitation and how to get a child to begin to copy our actions and our sounds and then move on to imitating our words. Now, here's why this is important. All of these skills, again, are contingent and are relative to each other. And when we don't look at what's happening with the child and really try to tease these individual skills out, even though they're all kind of related, we could really, really miss something. And it might go on and impact later development, even once a child is talking. And so hold that thought right there. Let me say a couple more things, and we'll kind of go back to that. Um, here's, Here's what I want to say first, and then we'll go back to this. When we As a therapist, first discuss turn-taking with a parent, they sometimes misinterpret what we're talking about. They think that we're exclusively talking about how a child takes turns with a toy or shares toys with other children. Now, those certainly are examples of turn-taking, but that's not really what we're talking about here today in terms of language development. Now, if we have time at the end of the show, I do want to squeeze in my very best strategies for helping children learn how to share and take turns with other kids but we're not there yet Um, but I wanted to mention that that's not quite what we're talking about here so in case you are a parent listening to this and thinking that's where we're going with this it's not hopefully we'll have time to get there and we'll mention that but when we're talking about turn taking and I think I mentioned this on last week's show when we were discussing initiating, which is the first part of this process. Remember what we said last week that when a child, when we have a conversation with someone, when we are talking with someone, there's an initiator, meaning the person who starts the conversation, and then there's a responder, that other person who's left to kind of do its part. Now, responding can be listening and then doing something, following a request, like We talked about the receptive language. You can just be participating and hanging out, which is kind of what we talked about with joint attention, sharing attention. And it's also, again, in in the the context that most of us think about it with language development is learning how to talk back and forth, meaning that I say something, you say something. I say something, you say something. And so, again, that's what we're talking about here with turn-taking. So let's discuss what it looks like when a kid has difficulties with taking turns. Now, uh, again, remember, 
Taking turns can start way before language starts, so I don't want you to think about it strictly in the terms of talking or not talking, but let's just kind of look at the different kinds of kids who at, at the very heart of the issue are having difficulty with turn taking. So a kid who's nonverbal, who's not talking yet, can or or may have difficulty with turn taking, meaning that he has somehow learned I can do something and get a response from my mom or another adult, but it doesn't go any farther than that. And the best example is a kid who has learned to pull an adult, usually it's mom, into another room to get them to a different location. And it's a lot of times it's the kitchen. They're pulling mom into the kitchen. So mom gets, okay, he's, he's thirsty or, or it could be he's hungry. And then the kid gets in there, and so mom understands, hey, he's pulling me here. He may even pull mom to the refrigerator or to the pantry. But then beyond that, mom's on her own to kind of interpret what the child wants. And she may start asking a lot of questions. She may say, do you want milk? Do you want juice? Do you want to get, um, you know, water? Would you like some water? And then, you know, the, the, the child may not even be able to respond. And that's what I mean by turn taking. They can initiate, they can get mom there and they may do it with something that's not a word, like a gesture or a look, some other nonverbal way of communicating, but they can't go beyond that. That's a kid who can't take a turn. He does not know beyond initiating that, that first little piece what he should do next. Turn taking can also be a problem once a child learns how to talk. So let's talk about this with a brand new talker, with kids who have learned a few core words that they've linked to very specific circumstances. And again, they use them and they're meaningful. It may even be a request. They may even say something like go. And mom has learned that that usually means, you know, I want to well, let's just take an example. A kid could say go if he wants to go outside, or a kid could say go if he wants you to ride him on your back, or a kid could say go if they want to play a running game or, or something like that, but, but it's so tied to context. And so mom, if she's not picking up on he wants to play this game with me or if he's not standing right by the door, mom may not know that he means, hey, I want to go ride in the van. I want, to, I want you to take me somewhere. She may say, where, where do you want to go? And then he says nothing. And so, again, he's verbal. He's used a word. But do you see how it's, there's still a problem? Because mom still or the listener still doesn't really understand what the child means or, or what should come next. And the child can't tell her because he's not mastered that turn-taking piece yet. This also happens with kids who are very verbal. And, I, gosh, I get email after email after email about this and a lot of questions about this when I, when I teach this in a course. And children may be talking a lot but still not be able to answer a question, which can be so confusing for parents because they'll say, I do not understand how he can he, he can use these phrases or even these little sentences. So he's talking very well, but he still can't answer a question like, what did you do today at school? Or what can I fix you for breakfast? And so sometimes we look at that, you know, and again, this could be a lot of different things. There could be a, a myriad of reasons that a child wouldn't respond to questions. But one reason is he still hasn't mastered turn taking. Now don't confuse this with a kid who imitates or repeats the question. So sometimes you'll say, 
you know, um, what, what snack are we going to eat? You want banana or apple? And the kid will say, banana, apple. And so he kind of repeats, the especially the last part of the question. That's a kid who actually does understand turn-taking. And so even though it's not appropriate, he gets, you talk, I talk. You talk, I talk. He's gotten that skill. So those aren't kids who have difficulty turn-taking. Those are probably kids with receptive language issues or processing issues, however you want to think about that, or a kid who, again, doesn't really – um, gets what you're talking about without that visual cue, and he or, or he may really want both the banana and the apple, or whatever example I gave there. So <laughs> it's a, it's a different kind of issue. So don't get confused with that because that kid is taking his turn in conversation. He is holding his place there. He just doesn't have the vocabulary, or doesn't really understand, hasn't processed your question fully. So I wanted to mention that, but. Just like every other skill that we've talked about, turn-taking does not start with words. And so if some of you are, you know, kind of sitting with bated breath saying, okay, now she's really going to tell me how to do this, let's back it up a little bit <laughs> and talk about how we target this really, really easy early turn-taking. And let me make sure that you understand why we're doing this. So many times we start working at a level that's too high for a child. So you're thinking, okay, my kid still isn't talking yet, but maybe it is this turn-taking piece. So let me teach him how to how to take turns and then uh, with words, and then we're really going to get this conversation going. Again, it's not as simple as that. So what we have to do when a child isn't displaying or exhibiting one of these skills is we have to back up, back up, back up, back up, back up to the very first place or the first point in development where that skill begins to break down. So what we're going to do is walk turn-taking all the way back and start kind of at a nonverbal level and then walk it forward. And before we get going with those specifics too, let me just mention that children who go on to be diagnosed with autism have lots and lots and lots of difficulty with turn-taking. And, and this is where even when you have a verbal kid who is not who is talking but not responding, so not answering questions appropriately, not um, responding when it, when someone calls his name, not doing his part in anything, and you're thinking, you know, what is the root of this problem? Taking a look at turn-taking and backing up all the way to this point can make a big difference. Now, every kid won't have to do it. And if you're listening to this and you're thinking with some of these ideas that I'm talking about, if you think, gosh, that's just too simplistic, keep listening. We're going to walk it through. But I did want to begin with the easiest, earliest ideas because sometimes when we don't go all the way back to the very beginning of the skill, it gets us in trouble. And we waste weeks or even months working on something that's not developmentally appropriate, meaning that a kid's just not there yet. So let's walk all the way back and talk about easy early turn taking. And again, some of these things are going to be activities that we've discussed in previous shows. And again, remember why, why we're doing this, because it's so hard to isolate these skills. You know, development of language is such a cooperative process. All of these things, especially in typically developing babies and toddlers, happen all at once. It's so hard to isolate these skills. But we have to do it for our little guys who are late talkers to be sure that we are covering all of our bases. And even if we feel like, gosh, we're overlapping a little bit here, it's still helpful. It's still beneficial because all of these 
processes do really work together. So let's just talk about some ways to target early, easy turn taking. And again, don't dismiss this, even for children who are already pretty darn verbal, because you may have to go all the way back to the beginning, so to speak, to be sure that you're walking them through this hierarchy skill progression and so that they really, really get to where you want them to be in the most efficient, effective way that you can do it. So let's take some examples from play and some examples from daily routines and talk about how we get this turn taking or this back and forth piece going. Now anytime that you look up turn taking or you know do an internet search about turn taking with toddlers, you're going to get some examples with activities that you can take a turn, they can take a turn. And again, we're talking about play here. The most common one, of course, is rolling a ball back and forth. And that's a great activity if <laughs> the kid wants to do it, right? Sometimes we'll look at some of this stuff, especially for when, we, when we're talking about early, easy turn taking and we're the, the person who's writing it, the author, is pulling information from typical skill development. And so when babies first and toddlers are learning this back and forth turn taking piece, they will be quite content to sit on the floor and roll a ball back and forth with an adult. But for lots of us, our caseloads are busy, hyper two-year-olds. <laughs> and so sitting on a floor with a mom, their mom rolling the ball back and forth is not fun. It is so capital letter B-O-R-I-N-G, boring that they don't want to do it. So what what can we do? Let's talk about how we can take some of these common activities and make it just a little bit more exciting. Now remember, before we change a kid, who do we have to change first? We have to change us. You are the easiest person in this dynamic, this duo, <laughs> with you and a child to change. So always start with yourself. And so even if you're having an activity that you think, eh, I don't know, this is a little, this is not capturing his attention. This seems a little bit boring here. I'm about to lose him. He doesn't like this. This isn't effective. Always start by making yourself more fun. So use your voice, use your facial expressions, act like you are just having the time of your life. You have never, ever, 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 ever in your life done more exciting, something more exciting than rolling that ball. So the first thing you're going to do is change your affect, change your tone, change how you look, change how you act, get into it, make it fun. For a lot of kids, that's still not enough. You're going to have to get up with that ball. So instead of rolling it, you can throw it and kick it. Kicking it is huge for two-year-olds because that's something that they're working on anyway. They've usually just gotten coordinated enough that that's even sort of realistic, so that might be something you do. Other things you might do is just use a different kind of ball, so change your material a little bit. Beach balls are so fun, and you can get them this time of year if you are listening um, currently in this series, today is August 5th, and so guess what? Beach balls are on clearance <laughs> in every kind of store that might sell any kind of toy. So go and get yourself a beach ball and use, and that's actually a great gift because you can get them for about 99 cents. And again, toddlers will use it and use it and use it and use it. It's not as uh, potentially destructive <laughs> to throw or kick or uh, roll a beach ball inside a home as another kind of ball might be. So a super fun thing to do. Beach balls are also light enough and and kind of big in comparison to a little child's body, so a toddler's body. So they like carrying them around. Uh, years and years ago, I read a book. Well, actually, when my 
oldest child, who was about to be 27, was born. I read this great book called The First Three Years by Burton White, and it's a classic. If you are a therapist and you're really into development, you can still get a copy of that. And on in that book, uh, one of the things that he recommends or recommended was uh, a list by developmental age of what is, you know, the best toy uh, for certain ages. And so for a one-year-old, a beach ball was his go-to toy because he said there's so many things that you can teach with a beach ball and because of that size, because it's light enough to be carried by a toddler that it can be just tons and tons of fun. And so I remember uh, giving that to our son for his first birthday, and I quickly went, because his birthday's in August, uh, and bought, oh gosh, five or six beach balls because I thought it was so much fun for him. I thought, I do not want to be without this. <laughs> this is going to be a go-to toy for me, for him, and certainly for kids that I uh, saw for therapy. So it's a great toy. If you've never used a beach ball, it can be really, really good. If you have a kid, and, and here's another reason a beach ball is good, and a soccer ball is good for this same reason. The visual uh, buzz that some kids need to be able to stay with a toy, uh, you're going to capture that better with a beach ball or a soccer ball because, you know, especially with a soccer ball, think about those black and white patterns and how that really would look as it rolls. And so if you have a kid who really is into uh, seeking out visual information, meaning that he has his face right in front of the TV or he puts his head right down there, right beside, you know, right on top of his iPad practically, or he holds toys up right up in front of his eyes, that's a kid who's telling you, hey, I need visual information. That's my learning style. That's my preference here. I, I like that. I will pay attention to you and what you're doing if you give me something fun to look at. So think about that and think about, gosh, this might be a way to really hook him into turn-taking here with me if I use something that appeals to that uh, sensory need of his. So look at use, you know, using this same kind of activity with a ball and that back and forth um, built-in piece of that activity is, you know, you can throw it, they can throw it. You can chase it down and then kick it or throw it again. So lots and lots of fun there. Balloons are a good thing to use here if a kid does not have a latex allergy. Uh, so think about that and, and think about how you can use those kinds of things. And remember, if you're a therapist, when you just give a parent a recommendation like roll the ball back and forth, you may get an eye roll. <laughs> out of a parent because they're thinking, don't you think I've already tried that? Or they're thinking, that's way too babyish for my busy, busy, busy little boy here. So be sure that you're talking about this and how we can manipulate the material, you know, use a different kind of ball, how we need to be more exciting, how we, instead of just rolling it, you know, if you're trying to fight a kid to sit on your lap and roll a ball, you know, back to his mom if you're a therapist or if you're a mom doing that in a therapy session and your therapist isn't really reading your child's cues and you're having to really fight the kid to keep him on your lap and participating, that is always a sign that you need to change the activity or change the material or somehow alter what you're doing because if we're really, really, really having a fight to keep a kid with us, it's not going to be productive. It's not going to be as effective and successful as you want it to be. 
So again, always start by looking at what the kid is already doing and what he already likes and think, how can I incorporate that? You know, if he needs movement, I've got to interject movement here. That's the only way I can get this, these turns going. So you look at, again, those, those things, those signs that a child is telling you and really read his little cues and, and that's how we'll start with working on turn-taking. Another early, easy turn-taking activity might be uh, with another common toy like blocks. And we've certainly talked about this example back when we were discussing building play skills and developing play skills. And remember what we said about that, that for kids who don't play with toys, our very first strategy is what? Do you remember? It's deconstruction. And what did that mean? That meant that we're going to let the kid take the toy apart or destroy it or do the last part first. So let's think about this in the context of turn taking. So with blocks. So for us, you know, we might think, oh, let's build a tower. And the kid's part of turn taking here is going to be I put a block on the table and then he stacks a block on top of mine and then I put a block on top of his and then he stacks a block on mine. That would be the traditional way. But remember what we said about deconstruction? What would be the turn there? We want the kid to knock the tower down that we hurriedly build <laughs> because it's not as fun to knock down a tower of blocks with two blocks. It's a lot more fun if you've gotten it to eight blocks <laughs> and it can make a big uh, boom as the blocks scatter everywhere, and that's just a lot more fun for a toddler. So, again, look at that. That's turn-taking, guys. And so you may be underestimating where a kid is functioning. If he can take a turn in something like that, um, you can certainly move him through, move him on up to the next little rung of skill. Now, let me just talk about knocking things down because that is such a universally appealing activity to toddlers that I do this with lots of different toys. So especially when a kid is a little bit bored or I'm trying to keep his attention with me and it's not working. Or another time I'll use this little activity is if we're working on flexibility with toys. And certainly flexibility is a core deficit of children with autism. And so they usually learn to play with one toy in one way, their preferred way, and they get a little ruffled <laughs> when you try to introduce a new way of playing with a toy. And we talked about that a little bit back when we were discussing uh, learning play skills, and we've certainly mentioned it at other times too. But here's another context when we can work on flexibility and with a really, really fun activity. So remember we're talking about how much kids like to knock things over. And same kind of concept here. We might line up three or four little characters. So if we're playing with, say, a little Disney playset, and we might have Mickey and Minnie and Goofy lined up, you know, I'll just make a big deal about setting them down on the table, you know, three or four characters, having them stand up, and then just knocking them over one by one. Now, you can say something like, uh-oh, when you do it, and I've certainly used that. But I now like to try something with a little bit more punch. So I'll say something like, you know, pow, 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 as I'm knocking my little characters over. And, again, it's a super way to pull the child's attention back to you because it's probably something that they've not done before. If it's a kid who likes to line things up, he's going to be intrigued anyway that you have played in his very preferred special way <laughs> that you've lined things up too. 
And it's a routine that kids really like and can participate in. You know, again, and what's their turn here? Their turn is you set it up and then they knock it down. And eventually they may initiate this kind of activity with you too because it's become so fun for them. And it's so so variable. You can do this with blocks. I've certainly done this with those big wooden cardboard blocks. Um, I did a therapy tip of the week about that, say, I think it's probably 2014, so a couple of years ago, about different different ways that we can use blocks. And that's certainly an activity that I've used in my office with large cardboard blocks. And instead of building with them, just setting them up and then knocking them over one by one. And again, such a simple, easy activity, but sometimes we get too complicated when we're trying to come up with ways to teach things. And this is kind of a no-fail <laughs> Uh, play routine that lots and lots and lots of kids will respond to. And again, it's applicable from children who are functioning right at that, gosh, even under 12 months to you know, four-year-olds. Sometimes siblings will that are seven and eight will get so into wanting to play this kind of thing, especially if their little brother or little sister who's in therapy it has a little bit of interest in it too. And it's so, so it's another game that you can teach a sibling to initiate to really work on turn taking. So talk with moms and dads about this. You know, just like everything else we're doing, as a therapist, it's our job to model these activities in a session and then talk to mom and dad about it. You know, you're going to coach them through it. You'll introduce it, do it, and review it. And if you've taken my course, Is It Autism?, the second part, part two of that course, we talk about introduce, do, and review. That's our parent coaching model. So if you're unfamiliar with that, get that course and learn that because it is the very best way to do parent coaching. And so let's let's go back to this example. Let's say that you, you're working on turn-taking with a kid and working on play and working on receptive language, all of these prerequisite skills, pre-verbal skills. And so you've said to mom, okay, he really likes knocking the blocks over, and he's learned how to do that. So let's make this, let's change it a little bit. Let's make this a little different so that we can be sure that we're working on teaching him to do different things and working on that flexibility piece. So let's, you know, and you're going to look around and just find another toy right there available. You could even do this with books. You could set, you know, four or five books up. And then, you know, knock them over. And kids will think this is fun. And you can say, all right, I'm teaching you this, but let's teach, you know, big brother this when he comes home from school today so that he's able to work on this turn-taking piece too. And you might say to mom, so, you know, in the next few days after you've shown your older son how to do this, when you're trying to make dinner and you want your older child to Keep your younger child's attention so that you can get this meal prepared. Remind him, say, say, do that knocking down game. And you may even have to go in there and say, let's look at some the different toys that we can do this with. And older siblings like this kind of stuff. Gosh, they want to play anyway. They want to be a part of it anyway. So when we are teaching them how to, how to carry this over, and this will be a new thing for them. They may say, oh, these blocks are just for building. I don't, I don't really see why we're, you know, I really want to build. You'll have to really be a little bit firm about saying, well, no, now we're going to play this way, and this is why I want you to do it, and this is how how I want you to do it. You're really going to be helping the baby when you're learning how to, teaching him how to play this way. And so again, we're teaching that child, the younger child, how to take turns in the context of a nonverbal turn with his sibling. And this is where all of this turn-taking stuff begins. All right, so let's talk about other kinds of 
easy early things that you can use to teach turn-taking. You can go even simpler than the ideas that we've already talked about. So it might just be when they're in the high chair, banging on the high chair tray, which, again, I've mentioned that. I feel like I mentioned that on almost every show. But it's such of an easy thing for all of us to do to see if a kid will take his turn with that, to see if he'll imitate us with that. If you're giving a kid a bath, splash water in the tub. You can also do that little knocking down game in the tub that we just talked about, you know, really lining up some toys on the edge of the tub. And in your inserting your language here, you're, you know, as you're picking up the boat and putting it on the edge of the tub, you're saying boat, and then you'll get, you know, the duck and put the duck up and you'll say duck. And then you'll get the next uh, toy out of the tub, you know, which might be a dog, a toy, a plastic dog, you know, dog. And then you'll say, you know, again, whatever you want to do, you might even turn this into a little uh, anticipatory routine where you're saying ready, set, go, or one, two, three, and then, you know, pow, pow, pow as you knock them all over or whatever your little favorite exclamatory word is. So think about how you can really use even these simple, simple turn-taking games throughout the course of a day. Um, Knocking on a door is another fun one that will really engage a toddler's attention and make it pretty dramatic <laughs> when you'll knock on the door and see if a child will do that too. So what do you do if a kid doesn't perform those really easy actions? And let's you know, be honest here. Kids with motor issues or difficulty controlling their little bodies, so kids who have a cerebral palsy diagnosis or uh, some other you know, hypo or hyper Tonia here will have some difficulty doing these kinds of things, but there will be other toddlers who don't have any difficulty at all with the motor skill per se, but they still don't understand that you want them to do what you've just done. They still don't get that they're supposed to repeat you or participate in some way, so you have to help them. And again, this is, sounds just like we talked about a couple of shows ago with the imitation section. So always after you've modeled something three or four times and the kid doesn't do it, instead of just abandoning the activity, try to help him do it first. Remember how we talked about tell him, show him, help him, which is in my DVD, Teach Me to Listen and Obey Too. It models these kinds of strategies so well. So if you need to see those kinds of ideas with children, get yourself a copy of that DVD. And you can get all that at teachmetotalk.com. But tell him, show him, help him means, you know, you're really showing him and you're talking about knocking these toys down. And, again, you're not going to say things like, now it's time to knock the toy down. I want you to repeat me when I knock these toys down. You're just going to set it up and say, you know, pow, 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 or down, 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 or go, 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 whatever your word is when you knock the toy over. Uh, but you're showing him how to, you're telling him how to do it, you're showing him how to do it, and then if he won't do it himself, take his little hands and help him. So many times it's just that physical prompting that you're really giving him <laughs> maximum support here with how he can do his part and how he can take his turn. And don't shy away from that. If you're a younger therapist, sometimes therapists who are not moms yet or dads yet, We'll have a little bit of difficulty with this and that you think, oh, I'm just being a little bit heavy-handed. I, you know, I, I want to follow the child's lead. I'm not really going to touch him and let him do it. No. <laughs> with many toddlers, you need to give that hand-over-hand -hand assistance. So don't shy away from that. And I've seen that happen over and over and over again, especially with students or with new clinicians. So it's really, really important that we do remember to 
not only do this in sessions, but talk to parents about it. And again, I know I've mentioned this before, but parents usually don't have a difficult time with using hand-over-hand -hand assistance because we do that all the time. We feed kids, you know, when they're learning how to use a spoon, we grab their little hands and, you know, help them use the spoon to get it to their mouths. You know, when we dress them, we are constantly shoving little feet in shoes and getting arms and shirts and helping them or, you know, pretty much doing it for them, pulling that little shirt over their head. So hand-over-hand -hand assistance does not look um, too bad, for lack of a better word, to a parent. So don't be afraid to talk about hand-over-hand -hand assistance and how we want a child to do that. Now, again, there's a right way and a wrong way to do that. You don't want to be um, mean. <laughs> When you are using hand-over-hand -hand assistance, you don't want to try to look like you are being demanding. You know, you just want it to be as, just do it in the least intrusive way that you can. So using some hand-over-hand -hand assistance, and again, it should never be that you are really being super forceful when you're using hand-over-hand -hand assistance. So I wanted to put that in there um, just just to clarify that a little bit. All right, so let's talk about how else we can do some early turn taking. You know, on nearly every show, I also mention social games. It's something that I use all day, every day when I'm working with children, and it's something I talk about all day, every day when I'm teaching courses and training parents. So remember our social games. It's so important not only to have a kid love these things because he's learning how to interact with you, but this is where we really teach him how to do his part. And do his part really is another word for turn taking. So our easy social games like give me five. What's the turn? What's the kid's turn in give me five? Well, you would usually initiate that by what? You're holding your hand out, and then the kid responds by what? Hitting your hand. That's a turn, guys. So that's an easy, easy turn to take. Let's take peekaboo. So what would be a turn that a kid could perform in the game peekaboo? Well, he could take the blanket off his head. That's an early turn in peekaboo, right? And certainly, eventually, we want him to learn how to put uh, the blanket on his head. Let's talk about a game like patty cake. What's the turn there? It's him clapping his hands with you and doing it with you, you know, as you've started the game, initiated the game. So, again, those are the beginnings of turn-taking. Let's, let's talk about other fun little social routines that a parent can do with a child. Something like, I'm going to get you, or get your belly, or honk your nose, little games like that. What would the kid's turn be? Of course, he's going to receive that fun motion, whatever the parent's done, tickled his tummy or honked his nose. But most kids, even kids with delays, if you have played this long enough and they like it long enough, or have liked it for long enough and, and enjoy it, and you again, time is the kicker here. We want them to start to, even if they don't initiate the game on by themselves completely out of the blue, after you've tickled their tummies for a while, we want to see them try to tickle your tummy too, all right, or get your nose or whatever, again, little game that you've come up with. It's the same kind of thing as give me five. Do you see how that's related? So those little games are fun too. One thing that I like to do with kids, and I think it's probably on a couple of the DVDs, but I will hide toys in kids' shirts because, again, we're working on object permanence. 
and cause and effect. And so it's kind of funny when, when they're starting to really grasp that and they've played that game for a long time and that's really funny if we've hidden toys in their shirt. I love it when a kid starts to try to hide toys in my shirt because that lets you know he gets this turn-taking thing. And, and especially, you know, if he does it right after you, that's a perfect example of turn-taking where he's trying to do that as well. But that's also a great way to get a kid to initiate. And I'm not sure that I mentioned those little games on last week's show when we were talking about initiation. So we certainly will see this initiating turn-taking kind of going hand-in-hand because uh, they're so related. So let's, let's look at other fun little things that might happen during the course of a daily routine. Turn-taking might look like this. A kid is taking a, a drink of his sippy cup, he's drinking it, and then all of a sudden he shoves it in mom's face and he wants mom to take a drink too. This can certainly happen when a kid is eating, say he's eating goldfish and then he tries to give you a bite. That's a great example of turn-taking. And I love it when I see kids do that and I get so excited about it. I cannot tell you the number of times that I have eaten food from grimy little hands <laughs> and done everything I could not to turn my head away. I've happily accepted it because I'm thinking instead of where have those fingers been and, oh, my goodness, I see three days of dirt under those fingernails. Instead of thinking about that, I get excited and think, my goodness, this kid is taking a turn. He he knows I want to share this with you. I, I want to do this with you. You know, I've been eating this or you've been giving these to me. Now I'm going to give it to you. So it's, it's so exciting when that starts to happen. Now remember in these things that we've talked about, these really common, easy examples that I've given you, in all of those examples, a child's turn will probably look just like the turn before it or just like the person who began the interaction. And that's imitating it again. That is absolutely fine. So if we have at a snack time or a meal taken a spoon and banged it on the side of the cup or the bowl or the plate, and a kid has done that too, that's fantastic. But eventually we do want the child to have the ability to make his turn be unique. So let's look at another way to kind of think about it and work on it, and this will kind of be that next level up. So when you see a child doing something, insert, let's just say play-wise, let's say we're playing with trains. You're going to insert yourself into what he's doing and take your own turn. So if he's playing with trains, you'll want to try to add something new to take your turn, but you have to be really careful not to overwhelm him. So if he turns away or runs away, what do you know by that? You know that you have pushed too hard and you need to do something less intrusive or probably easier. And that's always a good rule of thumb to make things easier. That's what I mean when I say back up, back up, back up. So let's say he, that you're playing trains and you took a turn by driving the train into the station and then closing the door. And then you notice the kid starts to get up and walk away or he takes all of the trains and hoards them because he doesn't want you to touch his trains. What's going on there? I mean, it could be that little obsessive piece that we'll see, protective piece that we'll see in kids with autism. You know, they just want to have all of the, all of the toys. And that's pretty common for lots and lots of toddlers too, not just kids on the spectrum. But a lot of times it's that what we did, our action was just way too complex. He was not ready for that yet. So try something easier. So instead of driving the train all the way into the, the little station there to take our turn, what could we have done that would have been easier? We could maybe just push the train on the track or just push it even and not hold it, just push it so it goes down the track a little bit. Or we could have crashed 
two trains, crash our train into his train. Or maybe if the trains have those little magnetic hooks or even the, the plastic little hooks, maybe we hooked it together. That's what I mean by the concept of backing up. So if we do something, if we take a turn in play and a kid doesn't reciprocate with his next turn or if worse, he's gotten up to try to leave, always think, man, what I did might have overstimulated him or been too much for him. Let me even make my actions easier. All right. So, I, you know, and sometimes it's okay to persist two or three times because maybe the action is just so new that the kid hasn't seen it before and he's processing what you've done or he's thinking she's going to take my toys and I'm not going to get to play anymore. So you may persist for a time or two with that one action, but a lot of times I don't even wait anymore. If a kid doesn't show any interest or any kind of little inkling that he thought what I what I'm doing is cool I switch activities and just move on to something something maybe new altogether or certainly something that's easier after just a few models so that I do everything I can to keep him all right so we've talked about easy ways to take turns I hope those will be ideas that you can back up to especially if you have a child who you think I'm not really quite sure why he's not taking turns here. Hopefully those will get you started in the right direction. Now let me do what I said I was going to do at the beginning because we have about 15 minutes left in this hour-long podcast. So let's switch gears a little bit and talk about that sharing piece, so learning how to take turns and play with other kids. Let me just start by saying this sharing or turn-taking piece here, that is hard for all toddlers. And if you do not believe me, go spend some time in a daycare. <laughs> because kids who are typically developing have just as much difficulty learning how to take turns with toys and learning how to share. And actually, even adults can have problems with this. Let me just give you some examples. Do you ever get mad when somebody has parked in your spot? <laughs> I don't know if you, you know, live where you have a garage in your own little space but let's say you live in a city and everybody parks on the street boy it is oh just maddening for adults for somebody else to take what we perceive as our own personal parking spot that's kind of difficulty sharing have you thought about it in that way or what about um let me give you this example what about let's say that there's a very special food that you love and do you ever get really upset when you realize that there's no more of that left because someone else has eaten it all in your family? It's, I mean, that's difficulty taking turns. That's difficulty sharing. Or maybe maybe it's the other way. Maybe you hide that food so that no one else will eat it. That's the same kind of thing that our little friends do, but we get pretty mad at that, don't we? And so even we as a, you know, we can not mad at that, but we we can want our kids to share and to take turns with something that they just absolutely love, but we don't think about it in the same way that, you know, you're upset with your spouse when he ate the last serving of your very favorite ice cream. So just remember how difficult sharing and turn-taking is for all of us. <laughs> and then you'll be a little bit more realistic, a little bit kinder, a little more compassionate when we are helping a toddler, especially a toddler with developmental delays, <laughs> began to learn uh, this process and you know I thought about this yesterday when I was preparing for the show yesterday and then um, I went to Walmart last night 
and thinking about the lines, there were there were just way too many people for the number of cashiers that they had. So, you know, I'm I'm getting really really impatient about standing in line, and I thought, gosh, that's that's a great example of difficulty turn taking and sharing. You know, it's somebody else's turn to get their um, groceries checked out. It's not my turn yet. So remind parents of that as a therapist when you're talking about this. And if you have a parent that's a little bit heavy-handed in helping a child learn how to share and learn how to take turns, remind them of how difficult that is for everybody, not just their child. Now, before we can talk about how we work on this with children, let's talk about how not to do it. Do not insist that a child, especially a toddler, learn to take turns with another child by taking away his very favorite thing and then giving that to the child that's there with him. You are doing nothing but creating animosity there because the child essentially feels like you stole from him. And and when he falls apart, we act kind of shocked and we act a little bit um, embarrassed as a parent with that, gosh, our kid doesn't know how to share yet. It's really our fault in that situation because we set him up for that tantrum or that meltdown or what or that aggression if he has tried to really, you know, hit or or bite or pull the kid's hair. It's our fault. We're expecting him to share when he's not really developmentally ready yet. So don't do it that way. We can also kind of mess it up as a parent or as a therapist when we think, you know, we're going to work on turn taking here. This child needs to learn how to take turns and so that with me so that he can share with the child. And again, kids, that's a that's you're you're on the right track when you're thinking about that because it's always important that the child learns how to do it with you first, with an adult who can be supported and compensate for his needs and his uh quirks as we're working on a new skill, but don't be um, don't use this in the wrong way. So you might be on the right track with thinking, I'm going to teach him how to do it. But then you'll, again, start with something that he is just, that he treasures, his very favorite toy. And you'll just sit there and take it away from him and say, it's my turn. It's my turn now. You have to share. It's my turn. And then you will keep it for five whole minutes while he has a holy fit. Do not do that. <laughs> We've got to give him so much support and lots and lots of practice so that he doesn't identify or learn taking a turn is terrible and my world is falling apart when someone expects me to give up my toy or to share. We've got to really, really make this a more positive experience and not set him up again to have those uh, little times where he falls apart because he's had so much, he's been reinforced by that being a terrible experience for him time and time and time again. And the adult has done it, and we've done it in the name of teaching him how to take turns or teaching him how to share so that he can eventually share with other children, which, again, is a fine goal, but we've done it in the wrong way. So how can we make teaching turns with teaching, taking turns with toys better? Now, I have used this kind of approach for a long time, but I would say, gosh, 2010, maybe 2011, I read a great book called Early Intervention Games, and it's by an OT. I believe her name is Barbara Sher or Barbara Sher, and it's just fabulous, and I've talked about this technique on the podcast before. I teach it in my course. I believe it's the Early Speech Language Development Taking Theory to the Floor course, and I'm, I'm pretty sure it's in Teach Me to Talk, the therapy manual. Uh, so lots of, I've shared this advice a lot. And let me say, it is worth sharing in all of those different places because it is the very best way. And I have taught parents 
and therapists how to do this over and over and over. So I've seen it work. So let me share it here quickly in these last few minutes of the show. You'll start by taking very, 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 very short turns with the child on your part. And so by short, I do mean a millisecond here. So you'll pay attention to a child's regulatory state too. So you're not going to try this teaching this sharing thing or this taking turn thing when he's hungry or when he's tired or something else has gone wrong. He's just in a bad mood, just cranky. You want to use this technique when he's settled and when he's happy. You also want to use it with a toy that's not his very favorite thing. So if he is pretty possessive about say his blanket, don't use the blanket. <laughs> You're going to use something that he likes or just something that he's playing with at the time and not something that he's going to feel absolutely devastated that you have tried to, um, in his little mind, take away from him or remove from him in some way. So let's say we're just sitting there and a child is playing with an action figure. So what you're going to do is gently place your hand on top of the toy and you happily say, and again, remember, it's got to be about your voice and it's got to be about your facial expressions. You're just going to say, my turn, and leave your hand on it just for a second and then take it off and then make a big deal about giving it back to him or making sure that he has full possession of it. And then you, again, happily say, your turn. And so you keep your tone fun and light so that the child does not become alarmed that you have tried to take something away from him because that's what's happening when they don't want to share. They feel like they're never, ever, ever going to get it back. And they don't really understand that other people can use things and that, again, the world hasn't ended and that is just, that's a maturation process. That's an emotional skill. That's a cognitive skill. They remember, man, I'm going to get this back. I just need to calm down here. It's a regulatory skill if you want to look at it that way. So we have to give them enough practice and enough success with knowing, hey, I'm going to give it back. She's going to give it back to me. But you start it with really short, short turns. So let's say that you have been, um, playing with, oh, let's use the example of a flat ball. That's one of my very favorite toys, and I've done therapy tips of the week about it, and I've used that toy in several videos and several therapy clips with courses that I teach, and it's P-H-L-A-T, flat ball, but it's a ball that collapses, so you push it, and then it explodes, or not explodes, but it pops open. <laughs> it feels like it explodes, though, the first time because you're, you know, so surprised that it's happened. So you may just, you put your hand, say the kid's playing with that, you're just going to put your hand on the top of that toy. And the first time you, or two that you do it, you may not even push it yet. You just want a kid to get the idea, I'm going to touch this and it's okay. It's okay if somebody else touches my toy and then he gets it right back and he proceeds with the turn. So let's say that we've done that. We'll repeat that several, several times as we play, but not in an annoying way not in a way that we're teaching a child to resist us, just in the way that, again, we let him know, hey, I'm going to get this back. We don't have to have a lot of drama here. She's going to play with me and not try to take it away from me. So over time, we gradually lengthen our turn. So let's say the kid has been pretty possessive about the flat ball and he's wanted it all to himself. And seven or eight times, you've 
just really casually put your hand on the ball. And you may not even start. If a kid, if you have a kid who is flipping out every time he hears the term, my turn, which a lot of kids who've been around other children a lot, so they have siblings that are really close in age, and mom has talked a lot about sharing, they may hear the word my turn and just completely lose it because they've learned that that's not a good outcome for them, that they're about to lose whatever it is that they've done and they're not going to be able to get it back. So for some kids, you may not even start with saying my turn. You may just let it be nonverbal even on your part for a little bit. And so gradually, though, lengthen the time of your turn so that you're actually, let's use the flat ball example, you're actually pushing the toy and so that you're operating the toy and that you've done that too. Or with the action figure, let's say you've done something with the action figure. Maybe you've patted the action figure or maybe you've made the action figure jump or maybe you've kissed the action figure or whatever it is. You're just going to do something that's really, really quick for your next little set of turns and then you give it right back so that over time he learns, hey, she can eat. she can even keep it a little bit longer, but I'm always going to get it back. Now, I've had a lot of success with this so that some kids respond really positively in just a couple of sessions with that. And you'll, I mean, it's so sweet. They'll start to even give me the toy or anticipate my turn. Like they'll sit and look at me like, are you going to touch this now? <laughs> are you going to take this? Or, you know, or they're waiting for me to do it. But for some kids, this will take a long time, especially our little friends with red flags for autism. And again, that's because of that core deficit of difficulty with reciprocity and because of that core deficit of wanting to uh, hoard the toys or keep all of the toys. They're not very flexible. You know, they're a little bit obsessive. They have those unusual fascinations. And so you may have to stay with it for a while and just talk parents through it. You know, some parents really want to, take um, kind of an overly uh, aggressive approach with this and say, no, he's not going to be a brat. I don't care if he has autism or not. He has to learn how to share. So really just walk a parent through that. But, you know, sharing is really hard for all kids. Taking turns with other children is particularly hard. We've got to get him to take turns with us first because we can support him and teach him and help him, whereas other children are not going to be as gracious or as kind and nice during that process. So we have to help him learn with us first that this is okay. Let me also talk about that turn-taking and sharing with toys with another child isn't appropriate until a child is 30 months old. So between 24 months and 30 months, 30 months is kind of that outside age there where even in typically developing toddlers, we may not see a lot of sharing and taking turns with other children with toys. So what does that mean for us with a kid with a delay? Let's say he's 30, you know, four months, he's about to turn three. And mom says, gosh, I really want to work on this before he goes to preschool. And if he is still at the 18-month developmental level, meaning that he's still just using single words, he's not really combining any words yet for phrases, he's only following some one-step directions. He only really understands, uh, you know, nouns and a few verbs. He's, he's following some directions but not complex directions. You have to say to mom, hey, I think we better wait on sharing here. I think we better wait on that turn-taking because developmentally he's just not there yet. And so you say to mom, we just don't want to waste our time yet because you, you, I've used this example. I would say it's like trying to teach a three-year-old to tie his shoes. You know, there's no way. There's no three-year-old in the world probably that can really 
efficiently tie his shoes because it's just not realistic. So that's how I explain that to moms. And I'll say, you know, let's use our therapy time for something else, something that we know we can we can accomplish. And you may say, you introducing that technique that we just talked about where those teeny tiny little turns, you can certainly start that, but you, you need to give mom and dad a big heads up that turn taking with other kids is just not going to be an appropriate goal yet and that you need to get that going. And you may have to do some talking about that with preschool teachers and daycare workers. They don't know what you know about child development, and they certainly don't know what you know about working with children with delays. And so we have to talk with them about that and get them on our page. So I hope that these have been some good ideas for you. Um, I mentioned a couple of resources today, Teach Me to Talk, the Therapy Manual. My new Is It Autism course, particularly part two that deals with intervention. And I think I mentioned uh, Teach Me to Listen and Obey, uh, that little DVD series. Those tools are fantastic for you for seeing examples of how to work on these kinds of skills with children. So that's it for today. It's actually the last skill in this series. But next week, we're going to have one last show to review and wrap all of this up. And let me add, if you're a therapist or a parent and you have questions about these skills, get them to me in the next few days, and I will try to answer them on next week's show. All right, that's it. Have a great week. Bye-bye.